Blessed are you, Lord God of our salvation. In the darkness of our sin, you have shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You may be seated. In the passages read today, both Paul and Jesus are teaching us about reconciliation with God. To do so, Paul assaults us with several concepts that are beyond our rational thinking. Here are a few of them. Anyone in Christ is a new creation. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. For our sake, he made Christ to be sin who knew no sin. Our logic cannot make sense of any of these statements, even as our hearts recognize them as the truth. In another place, Paul says certain truths are spiritually discerned. Perhaps that means that such words require a special kind of insight spoken of earlier in this epistle. God has shown in your hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In order to understand these mysteries, we must look into our hearts and see the light of Christ. The center of the heart Paul speaks of is actually our brain. Research in modern neurology shows that both nature and nurture, by both nature and nurture, our brains form pathways of thought and feeling. Our concept of, our, of ourselves, what we feel, and how we act are linked to patterns in the brain that were mostly formed in very early life. For example... I have had a habitual response to confrontation. I have tended to go blank, shut down emotionally, and walk away when I am confronted by someone who doesn't like what I'm saying or doing. This includes being totally out of touch with feelings of anger or fear or the impact my withdrawal has on the person confronting me. I agree with psychologists I've read that this behavior is almost surely formed from my very early childhood. With the help of my wife, I slowly have become aware of this behavior pattern. But my attempts to change that behavior have always failed. At one point, I was convinced that change was impossible. I'll have to refer you to a helpful book by Kurt Thompson, <clears throat> excuse me, called The Anatomy of the Soul, if you'd like to learn more about this. But let me just say that Thompson reassures his readers that these neural pathways formed from our earliest experience can be changed. Especially pleasing to me, he goes on to state that they can even be changed in old age. In any case, 
If deeply ingrained dysfunctional thoughts and behaviors like those I described changed for the better, it seems to me it would feel like being created anew. We would know a freedom to think more lovingly, more generous, more caring thoughts toward God, ourselves, and others. But how can this happen? Thompson's book offers some scientifically tested methods, but in this sermon, I will limit myself to only one of them. Receptive, meditative prayer in which we sense ourselves to be in Christ, that is, in the very presence of God. Here we find a spacious place where right and left brain hemispheres cooperate and we experience ourselves as most fully integrated. With this, mind, with this in mind, I'd like to look at this verse from today's epistle. For our sake, God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I will rush in where angels fear to tread to offer some commentary on this mysterious verse. I believe that in his great love for us, God wanted us to know that he knows what we go through when we turn away from him. To do this, he became a human being and experienced the life you and I experience. What he did not experience, that is, what Christ did not experience, was sin. In other words, he never really lost touch with his father as we do. We, like helpless sheep, keep wandering away, trying to go it on our own. So, as our recovery plan, Paul points us to the cross of Christ as the source of our reconciliation to the Father. Looking to the cross, we see Christ experiencing how it feels to live in a state of alienation from God. Like us, he felt trapped, stuck, totally unable to turn toward the love of his Father. Nailed to the cross, Jesus experienced the helplessness of the addict the abused, the loneliness of the orphan, the homeless and the aged, and the desperation of those who refuse to access God's love. All of this felt to Christ like a chest-crushing, slow suffocation, causing him to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But we turning to the cross of Christ, can know that God knows the suffering that we have felt because of our alienation from the Father. Jesus said it this way, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Well, Paul's goal is to tell everyone about the availability of reconciliation to God. Jesus' only goal 
was to make our reconciliation to God possible. To do this, he told stories like the one we heard today, the story of the compassionate father. With quick strokes, Jesus presents the relationship of, the, of a wealthy father with his two sons. The younger son said, give me half of all you own so that I can leave this place and find the fulfillment of my desire in the finest clothes, the fastest cars, the biggest mansion, and in the arms of a high-class prostitute. And before long, this boy discovered the emptiness of all created things when God is left out. After a tough run of it, the young man filled with shame decides to return home to throw himself on the mercy of his father. Jesus presents us with this beautiful picture of the father's response. While the wayward son was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Jesus goes on to tell about the resentful, disappointed, and envious older son who now sulks in the backyard. His father, unusual in his persistent kindness, seeks him out and begs him to come back in. The older son hurls his complaints at his father, interpreting as injustice his father's extravagant forgiveness and generosity toward his promiscuous younger brother. But the father replies with unshakable kindness, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Which of these sons are we? The rule breaker or the rule keeper? The self-indulgent or the self-righteous? Either way, the Father is saying to us, I want you, even now, I want you to enjoy being with me. Come into my house with me and celebrate. If we identify with the prodigal, we see the face of our Father beaming with joy as he catches sight of us, turning from our pleasures and returning to him. If we identify with the older son, we can change the end of the story by turning to see the face of the father longing to share his whole being with us. That welcoming face says our love for each other is all that really matters. But even if we are reluctant to turn to the father, still we can cry out with the psalmist, turn us again, O God, and cause your face to shine upon us that we may be saved. It is in receptive prayer then that we see the image of the Father shining on us and in us. The face of Christ, the exact image of the Father, is beaming his love through every molecule of our body and mind at all times, whether we realize it or not. Most often, like Jesus praying in the wilderness, we realize it in silence and solitude. 
where even the gentle rising and falling of our chest as we breathe is a reminder that it is not in us to control our own lives any more than we can manage our own breathing. By relaxing and receiving, we inhale the breath of God who exhales us into being. You may have tried this turning I am describing, and you may not yet have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Be at peace. You are on the road to the Father's house. At every fork in the road you are taking the turn toward home. Soon you will turn to see a figure running toward you. Coming near, you will see his arms are extended to embrace you. Another step closer, and you will see his face beaming with joy. But our prayer experience is sometimes like this. Now we see him, now we don't. A moment ago, we were seeing his face of delight, and now our thoughts roam off to the memory of sin we, must, we once committed, or our plans, or perhaps most often, our worries. Then, by grace, we realize we have strayed, and by grace, we return again. In 20 minutes, they may, this may happen a hundred times. We wander. The Father seeks us out. We turn away. The Father calls us back. Instead of being discouraged in our fragility, we hear our Father affirming us in our preciousness. I don't believe Jesus is, is impatient with our awkward attempts to meet with him. Every time we turn to him, we can be amazed by his beauty and love. This turning back to God, this attitude of ongoing repentance can become habitual. It can invade our whole day. The silence and solitude of our prayer time gradually becomes an internal silence and solitude in the midst of the world's confusing noises. At some point, we understand that the end of our journey is not to attain our Father's presence, but to become aware that we are already constant recipients of his loving gaze and warm embrace. In this, real changes are happening in our brains, which is to say our hearts. We are beginning to experience the new creation that we already are. And so we pray with the psalmist. Turn us again, and like dancers to the old shaker song, we move toward obedience to Paul's impossible imperative to pray without ceasing, turning again and again, and then turning to each other. Tis a gift to be simple. Tis a gift to be free. Tis a gift to come down where we ought to be. And then, and when we find ourselves in the place just right, it will be in the valley of love and delight. 
when true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we shan't be ashamed to turn. Turn will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. I'm telling you the truth. God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in your hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let us turn to that light without ceasing.